Amen. How we doing? 9 a.m. Did a good job singing this morning. I am, I'm always get pumped when the uh, 9 a.m. sounds like about as loud as the 11, so that was good. Um, my name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer, uh, and we are in our third week now of Advent, and it is a, a great time for the church and just um, the season. I love it, and, and it's caused me to reflect a little bit on how much uh, waiting is something that's hard for us to do. Waiting on things is hard. We live in the age of the internet. We have Google. We have supercomputers in our pockets, our phones, television streaming, anything you want can be bought online and delivered usually within two days. Sometimes I have to wait five to seven days and I'm like, oh my gosh. Five to seven business days. Amazon Prime. I love it. Or if you look at our stores, you can go to almost any store and whatever you want, whatever you need is there. If you're like me, you like Star Wars, waiting for the Mandalorian every Friday is torturous. Amen? But there is something inside of us that longs for fulfillment, and there's something about anticipation that actually is kind of exciting, something that is joyful about that anticipation. Again, I love Christmas time. I won't deny it one bit. If I could, I would put my tree up on November 1st, and I would put it, amen, and I would take it down sometime after Valentine's Day at least. My wife's birthday is at the end of November, so I wait. But for years, I would anticipate the Christmas season for the wrong reason. I understood what it was about. Absolutely, I understood it was about the birth of Christ. But the reality was, was I overlooked that often because I was so focused on the gifts, the physical presence. I'm a gift shaker, so I'm always the guy who's under the tree like, I don't know. At the gift exchanges, you can guarantee I'm going to touch everything, shake everything, try to guess what it is. The anticipation of receiving a gift is so much fun. Giving one too, but also receiving. And over time, the Lord has worked in my heart to see and reveal that the greatest gift, the gift that we actually should be most excited to receive, the gift that we should most cherish and find our joy in, the gift that produces a childlike anticipation, hopefully, and the gift that the world really needed and still needs today is Jesus Christ. God incarnate who came so that we might have a way to be restored into a right relationship with God again. So today we're going to carry on in the book of John and we're going to see what it means to receive this gracious gift of Jesus Christ, the reason we celebrate this Advent season. So if you will stand with me, we're going to be carrying on in the first chapter of John, uh, a little bit bigger chunk this week. It's going to be 6 through 13. Uh, that's on page 886 of those Bibles in your rows there. So feel free to, we have Bibles out there. If you don't have one on your way out, just grab one at the connection table. We'd love to give it to you. Um, so you can take it and uh, we hope that's a blessing. So John 1, 6 through 13 says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born 
not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful for this day, again, for uh, just this Advent season and um, just the joy that that brings for our, our church body. And we just pray that as we work through this passage today, we would see how you are uh, the greatest gift that this world uh, has ever received. And I pray that um, for those of us who have not received this gift yet today, that would be uh, the case. And we're just thankful that um, we get to come together, sing praises to you, hear from your word, and fellowship with one another. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And you can have a seat. So we're going to work through this today, um, kind of in, in three points. We're going to talk about this light, kind of in a, in a brief recap of the last two weeks, this light that's come into the world and what this means for people, um, and how to actually become children of God, and then a couple practical points and what that means for us when we become children of God. So as we work through the beginning of John, it is really it's really important that we always, always, always go back to the point and the, the purpose of this letter. You can't just pull out a few verses out of the context of the whole letter. Kind of like Chris mentioned last week at the end of his sermon, in John 20, 30-31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, believing you may have life in his name. So John is writing this gospel account so that people would believe. That people would believe, and in that belief they would know true life that is found in Jesus' name. So my hope for you all today is that you would, through these few jam-packed verses, see that you need to believe in Christ and constantly be reminded of him. So because this is a season in which it's very tempting to just make everything be kind of sentimental. Um, I think we have two groups probably in this room here, and we fall upon a spectrum of struggle between these two opposite sides of one, looking at the Advent season, season and thinking, wow, this is just a fun time where we get to get some gifts, and then others where it's actually a really tough time for them. It's easy to give into the lies that all we have to do all of these events during this time, all these gifts we have to buy is actually what Christmas is all about. And I would say that's not the case at all. True life and joy, as I've said before already, is not found in things. It's found in Christ alone, and the season of Advent reminds us of this. So there's some of us here today who need to be reminded about why the light actually came into the world. And then there's others here who maybe find this time to be very, very difficult. Maybe it doesn't bring up seasons of, or memories of warm, fuzzy feelings. It's a time where we cope with loss and struggle with missing people. We need to hear that it's also okay to be in that place today. But my hope is that you will see that John wants you to believe and what Christ has done so you can rest in him even in the midst of these difficult times. Because what we celebrate around this time is that the light has come. The light of the world has come so you might believe and have life in him. So our first day of Advent, we talked about the word, the logos, the reason 
The source of life and creation has been existent for all time. It says in verse 1 that the Word was God. And in this Word was life. And that life was the light of men. And last week we saw that the light came to shine in the darkness. And this light, this Word, was Jesus. Because for many, many years throughout the Old Testament, there had been prophets pointing to the fact that there was a Messiah coming. The nation of Israel was waiting for their Messiah. In one day, he would come. And from the moment that Adam and Eve rebelled in the garden, the moment they sinned, God immediately set into plan a plan of redemption, a plan that he would restore all things again as they were meant to be. And throughout the revelation of God to his people, it was clear that one day a Savior would come. And I I, I was thinking about this this week, like, man, what an anticipation this must have been for the nation of Israel. For years and years, they were oppressed, oppressed by many, many people. If you were with us when we were uh, going through the book of Judges, we, we talked a lot about how they were constantly, constantly disobedient, falling after false gods, and whenever it seemed like things were going to be great, something else horrible happened to them. But all the while, despite their unfaithfulness, and their lack of following the law and trusting that God was good, God remained faithful and unchanging and loving. And they were given the promise that one day the light would come into the world, their Savior. In Isaiah 9, 1 through 2, we read, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. In a few verses down in 6 and 7, it says, for, us, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And on his name, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts would do this. So Israel had been anticipating this light for years and years. And finally, the wait is over. John 1.9 says, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Now Jesus didn't come in the way that the Israelites believed he would. Because if you remember, at the time, they're occupied by Rome. Rome was ruling over them, and they thought that God was going to come and establish a physical kingdom on earth and overthrow the Romans, and the nation of Israel was going to be made great again. But God had something greater in mind. In his infinite wisdom, the light was coming into the world as a baby, a lowly, poor baby. Next week, we're going to get a little bit more into that and the implications and the intricacies of what that means in the incarnation. But it's important for us to know now that the light was coming into the world finally. And the true light enlightens everyone. Not just the Israelites, but everybody. Every human. The whole world. There's a few ways to read this verse, but I, but I think what makes the most sense is to understand that the Greek verb there, photose, 
translated enlightened, means to shed light upon, to make visible, to bring to light. So we read here that the true light was coming into the world. God was coming in the flesh. The eternal word was taking on flesh, as we'll learn about again next week. But Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, was coming as fully God, fully man. He invaded this world as the true light And the true light now shines on every person and has exposed us for who we really, really are. And now we have the option to accept either our need for Christ or to continue hiding in the darkness in our sin because we don't like being exposed for who we truly are apart from Christ. Verse 10 and 11 says, He was in the world And the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. John is most likely here talking about the nation of Israel, the Israelites specifically, but I think it can be also taken generally to mean the whole world, meaning the world has rejected him. Because remember, all things were made through him, and his creation rebelled against him. In verses 12 and 13, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we've seen that the light has come into the world, and all of us have a choice now. A choice to either accept this or hide from it. And the end of this passage begs the question to all of us today, well, am I a child of God? Because deep down in our being, every one of us, we were made to know and experience God, created to walk in communion with Him and to glorify Him in all that we do. But sin has taken such, such root in our hearts that we no longer put Him as the Lord of our life and we're blinded to the fact that we were created to live in communion with Him. So we elevate ourselves and created things into the place that should be reserved for God. This is what we call idolatry. It's the root of all of our struggles. When we put ourselves in the place that was reserved for God, We live contrary to actually how we were designed to live. We look inward instead of upward and outward. And then, that's where all of our pain and our sin struggles that we're faced with come. But the good news is that God has made a way for us to become his children again. He's come in the flesh. Jesus Christ enlightened us to the fact that we are sinners and he has made a way. But we cannot just do this on our own. It is all a gift of grace that we must receive from God alone, by faith alone. And this brings me to the first part on what it means to become a child of God is we first have to receive Jesus. What does this mean? It means that we receive him for who he is on his terms. Not the other way around. He comes to us as Savior, so we receive him as Savior. He comes to us as Lord, so we receive his Lordship. He comes to us as Counselor, so we welcome his counsel. He comes to us as Friend, 
eventually, if we receive him, we welcome that friendship. To steal a picture from another pastor, um, a guy named John Piper, he, sa- he says, we don't just open up a door to our home and say, come on in, Jesus. I got a nice room for you over here at the back of the hallway. If you wouldn't mind, shut the door on your way in and don't play your music too loud. It's not some peaceful coexistence with a Lord who makes no claims on our life. There are a handful of examples in the Gospels where people gladly, gladly accept Jesus for who he is, and then just a few verses down are like, whoa, 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 this is not who we thought you were. You're making us uncomfortable. In Luke 4, there's an example where Jesus comes into the temple, and he's saying that this prophecy from Isaiah is fulfilled today in your midst. He was talking about himself, and they were like, wow, this guy teaches really well, gifted communicator. He's awesome. He's going to come and he's going to save us from the Romans, maybe. And then a few verses down, we read that he kind of calls them out and they were angry. They tried to kill him. Christ didn't come so that we would compartmentalize him into our life. To make him fit into little areas that we would like him to come into and then not make noise in the areas that we really don't want to get too noisy. He came to be Lord and Savior of those who receive him fully, to those who give him authority and lordship over every aspect of their lives, especially in the areas where we struggle and tend to put ourselves, our preferences, in the place that only God deserves. It means receiving him into your work, your workplaces, your school, your relationships with others, your marriages, your free time, your aspirations. What are you actually longing for in this life? In the areas where sin has a stronghold and where fear and grief and shame and guilt are is where Christ also wants to come in and heal and change and grow you. Every aspect of our life. And I think we were created to long for that because we know in our toils there's just something missing all the areas we try to be lord of our lives we fall short those areas fall short of giving us the joy that we long for this idea of receiving christ as lord over all of your life goes in direct direct contrast to what our culture says Because our culture says, receive whatever it is you want to feel good about yourself. Don't receive the other things. You know, you hear someone say, well, I received that. But I don't receive that. But at the end of the day, it leaves us empty. Take work for one example. If we wish to remain Lord over our work, chances are we're probably doing it for just the monetary success, the paycheck, and maybe even the praise of man. At some point, this always, always becomes toilsome. I love that word from Ecclesiastes, just toiling day in and day out. Vanity. Because at some point, we're going to realize we can never get enough. Our pride is constantly challenged. We're going to battle constant anxiety when we work to please man. Because all our thoughts will be consumed with, oh my gosh, do they approve of me? If we make Jesus the Lord of our work and receive that lordship, the pressure's off. Yes, we still work hard. 
But at the end of the day, the money is not the most important, it's secondary. And the people approving, approving of us absolutely will not make or break our identity anymore. So that's the first part of becoming children of God, is receiving. We receive him for who he is, not for who we want him to be. And if we look again at verse 12, you'll see we are to believe in his name. So what does it mean to believe? It sounds kind of an awful lot like receive, and I think that they tie very, very closely. But it's kind of like taking the next step. To become a child of God, you have to have both. The next step of finding our joy and our satisfaction and our comfort and our trust in what Christ has done for us. It's moving from the head to the heart. The intellectual understanding to the heart transformation. Because we can understand that God is Lord and maybe even receive that. But we don't really believe it if we don't find joy and satisfaction in it. If you look at a few verses later in this gospel, John 6, 35, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Belief was implied as finding satisfaction and sustenance in Christ, not other things. Finding their sustenance that is greater than any excuse me, finding their sustenance not in food. You know, think of the most amazing feast. We're coming to Christmas time, and, and there probably are some feasts in our midst, and uh, we just are fresh off of Thanksgiving too. So take the best food that you like. I don't know, whatever it is. If you like the filet mignon from uptown or St. Elmo's cocktail sauce. Yes, I can preach about that, but anyways, take that, better than any of it, times infinity. Belief is movement beyond this intellectual ascent, your knowledge and facts and doctrine and, and anything else, beyond that to a life-changing trust and satisfaction that plays itself out practically in our faith in Jesus Christ. John 15 talks about what it means to abide in Christ. And in verse 9 through 13, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoke to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. We could spend a long time talking about that verse alone. But I think it's just amazing to see that God the Father has loved His Son. And out of that love, His Son has loved those who believe in His name. And those who believe in His name are those who obey His commandments and abide in His love. And in that, they find joy, following Christ, abiding in Him. Not just knowing His name, but really believing in it. Those who receive and believe Jesus, we are given the right to become children of God, not born of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. 
In here lies the really good news. And that's that we can't accomplish it on our own. We can try, but we're going to fall short. Our salvation is something that God has done from the beginning to the end. Yes, we receive and believe, no doubt. But God is the one who does the work and the order matters. First, God does it, we receive it, and believe it. We can only respond because of the work of God first. And through the Holy Spirit, God softens our heart to actually receive and believe. The Holy Spirit regenerates our heart so that we are no longer born of flesh but of God. John 3, 6 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that, what I, that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Spiritual regeneration has been made possible because of what Christ has done. And we can become children of God through that. Full heirs, full heirs to an inheritance that God gives us in Christ. And that's something because it's just beautiful how Trinitarian this is. God the Father plans and initiates. The Son carries out the plan and gives us the right as sinners to stand before God The Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts. And through that, we actually find salvation in Christ. We're dead in our trespasses before God, and the Holy Spirit makes us alive. Guilty because of our sin. And Jesus gives us the right. We read in verse 12. So this has about a million practical implications, I'd say. At least a million. So we'll just do nine. I'm kidding, two. Only two. First, one that comes from this understanding that we're children of God is that if we have received and believed in Christ, we become a part of a family. Children are in a family. And I don't want to generalize too much, but I think it's safe to say that nobody has a perfect family. And if you do, please invite me to your Christmas party. Because I would love to be a part of that. Many of us, family might be even the, for many of us, family might even be the complete opposite of perfect. But God's family is different. To begin with, we have God the Father as our ultimate loving Heavenly Father. Meaning all the comfort and security, and peace, guidance, love, and glory we were made to experience in a parental role is found ultimately in him and expressed perfectly to us. Even if you have a fantastic, fantastic earthly father, that's awesome, and you should praise God for that. But he's nothing compared to our Lord, our God, the Father in heaven. Also, we're now part of a spiritual family and we have brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and earthly spiritual fathers and mothers, etc. And because we still deal with the effects of sin in our world and in ourselves, we will mess these relationships up. But the basis by which we are saved in Christ has given us not just the reason to love one another, but the ability also In our unregenerate hearts, we can't do that 
on our own. But God the Father sent his spirit to work love in our hearts. And we can actually be moved towards one another now in that love and compassion. So we are called to love one another, to reconcile when we have issues, to care for each other, to not gossip, to not slander. And the only reason we can do this is because we've been given the ability by Christ. Ephesians 2.14 talks about how Christ has given us peace and made us one because he broke down the dividing wall of hostility. So it doesn't matter where you came from, what your family of origin is, what you do now, your socioeconomic status, your skin color, those walls are broken down in the family of God. And this is what we do long for. This is what we were created to experience. Everybody was. Love and communion with God and others in familial community. We are a gospel-centered community on mission here at Redeemer. That's our mission statement, to live that out as we glorify God everywhere we go. And if we are not careful, it can become very easy to just make those buzzwords. So like, great, we do community, and we go on mission, and we're gospel-centered. But being a community is so much more than just hanging out, being social. When we gather on Sunday, we get a picture of what we will have for eternity if you are a son or daughter of God. It's a family gathering where we get to see friends. And we have friends and guests here, for sure. And we plead that you would become a part of this family by putting your faith in Christ. We get to worship together. We get a fellowship. We get to eat donuts and drink coffee and serve one another. And we send each other out to go live between Sundays for Christ. We have community groups that meet throughout the week. And in these groups, we really can begin to break down what it means to live as a family, to live out what it means to serve, to point each other back to the gospel, to depend on one another and point each other back to Christ whom we ultimately depend on. Through this, the world sees who we live for. The world sees that we live for God's glory because of Christ. It's an opportunity for people to see, to receive, and believe. And I would just encourage us all, and of course, we, are, you know, we have a break now of community groups, so... That's all right. Find time to get with each other outside of that hour and a half. That's the point of those. So it's just another way to build relationships, to point one another back to Christ, and to go be sent on mission. Which brings me to my final point, practically. We're going to go back now to verses 6 through 8. I know we're kind of doing a little loop back to the beginning It says in verse 6, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came to bear, or he came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So becoming a part of God's family, becoming a child of God, through Christ's work, experiencing what that means, 
becoming heirs with Christ is not something that's meant to just stay here or with others who believe that same thing. I find it interesting that after the first five verses of this chapter, verse 6 says, there was a man. It's very anticlimactic. He's going about these big, like, the word was with God and the word was God. These are big, powerful statements. And then in verse 6 he says, and there was a man. But I think it's there, obviously, for a, a, a purpose, for a reason. It's not a mistake. John, the author, is getting to his point immediately that the way God has chosen to bring glory to his name, to spread the message of Jesus, is through people. Through using people who have been changed and transformed to go and share this message about the light. People who have seen and tasted this good news if you truly have, it's, sometimes, it's hard to keep that in. I mean, think about something you're passionate about. Whatever you spend most of your time talking about is probably something that is occupying a portion of lordship in your life. Um, I was thinking about this for myself, like, well, where, you know, where, do I, where do I have this? And the reality is, is I think, yes, I like talking about sports probably a little too much. And I was convicted of that, and I was like, man... I don't, I don't walk up to people and say, hey, have you heard about Christ? If I build a relationship with them, usually to my non-Christian friends, I'm like, I wish the Cubs got Garrett Cole. See, most people don't even know about that. But I would love to tell you afterwards. Um, my point is, when we really reflect on what Christ has done, we can't help but share the good news when we have the opportunity. We can't really fake it. We have to have it come from true abiding in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. The reality is that all Christians are sent, every one of us, from God to proclaim the light. Some of us are in here today and we are being sent somewhere we may not know it yet, but maybe we're feeling that tug. God's working in our hearts. For some of us, someday that might be the ends of the earth. There are people who have not heard the good news. The light has exposed us all still, but they haven't heard that there's a way to escape the darkness through Christ. So some of us may be called to the ends of the earth. For others, it may mean another city or state. For students, as you're preparing to leave, maybe, if you're a senior in the next semester. For most of us, it means right across the street or across the hallway. Or to a family member when we go see them over winter break. Christians are sent people to go and share the good news about their Savior. And know that they're secure in the love of their Father in Heaven. And if you don't know where to start, then just start like John the Baptist here. That's the John they're talking about here, is John the Baptist. He bears testimony, it says. Witness, testimony. You can start with your testimony, your story of bearing witness about what Christ has done in your life. Because all of us, none of us have a boring testimony. Nobody who is in Christ has a boring testimony. Because everybody was someone before they knew him and believed in him and are different now after. Share that with people. 
And we can do this with humility, again, knowing that we don't change people's hearts. John, the Baptist, was a wild dude. I wish I could kind of be like him. I mean, he lived in the wilderness. He wore a garment of camel's hair, and he ate locusts and honey. That would go well in Bloomington, to be honest. I think. Hey, I, I, I'm all into that stuff, all right? I like the, the crunchiness. That's cool with me. Be- believe it or not. I'm not allowed to wear chacos on the stage. I digress. John the Baptist was a wild guy, a humble guy. Jesus himself says in Matthew 11 that no human, not one human, is greater than John. And John, even in that position, says, you know what? Later on in, in, in John confusing to talk about the two Johns. Later on in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist talks about how the fact he is not even worthy to untie the straps on the sandals of Jesus. He knew that. He came to bear witness about the light, not himself, and he came to do it humbly. That's what we're called to do as Christians, called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We don't do it alone. We do it together in the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the risen Christ. We don't do it to earn favor, but we do it because we have been given favor from God and been adopted into his family. And that's what we celebrate during this Advent season, where we're reminded of and we anticipate the coming of Christ again, when all things will be made new, and pain and sin and death and Satan will be gone forever. That's the good news that the world needed to hear then. It's the good news the world needs to hear now. So today we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate this by partaking of the Lord's Supper and remembering this anticipation of Christ coming into the world and one day coming to fully restore. If you're here and you haven't received, believed in Christ, then I pray that you would take this time to do so. There will be pastors who would love to talk with you in the back and answer any questions you have and pray with you. If anybody needs prayer, we would take advantage of that opportunity as well. Um, here at Redeemer, we come forward and um, we tear off a piece of bread, dipping it in the cup. There's juice and wine to take, however your conscience leads you. Um, the glass marked with, the glasses with twine is, is where the wine is. Um, so let's remember again what, what Christ has done by coming and in living a perfect life for us, dying for our sins on the cross, and being raised again victoriously. Let's pray. Lord God, we're thankful just for uh, Advent time, for, uh, for a time where we get to remember the anticipation that the nation of Israel had as they were waiting for their promised Messiah. And I pray that we would take advantage of this season in the year and um, really remember what it means to, to trust and abide in the love of Christ. And I ask that you would just do a work by your Holy Spirit in all of our lives here and that you would mobilize us to be sent people who tell of your, your good news, who 
take serious what it means to be the family of God and live that out practically. I pray that would take root in our hearts. We're thankful again just for um, this time that we get where we get to uh, celebrate coming to the Lord's table. And I pray that we would just be in awe always by the fact that you would come and um, shine your light upon us, sinners who are so undeserving of that. And that we would just be joyful and remember that good news always. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.